selling with authenticity. It's building that relationship. Building about the value. Because you want to make that impact. It can make you happy. Welcome us. to the Selling from the Heart podcast. Your home for authentic, effective, and socially integrated sales strategies to help you master the art of selling. Join your co-hosts Larry Levine and Daryl Amy, along with some of the world's best sales thought leaders and practitioners, as we explore ways to help you grow your sales. Hello, and welcome back to the Selling from the Heart podcast. Your co-host, Daryl Amy, here today with Larry Levine. What's going on, Larry? Oh, you know what? I am so excited. I always say this every time, Daryl, that I'm excited about the Selling from the Heart podcast. Our guest today, I'm super excited. We're going to have an amazing time with Matt Dixon today. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. Matt Dixon's in the house. Put your seatbelts on. <laughs> get a notepad out. We're going to have a wonderful uh, challenging time today. It's going to be fantastic. Pun was intended. Hey, this <laughs> is an exciting time of year. We're right square in the middle of Q4. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had the inaugural Sales Leaders Bootcamp, the Breakthrough Sales Leaders Bootcamp. Larry, I'm still riding a high off that. The energy in that gathering was just simply incredible. And huge thank you to Dave Sanderson, Holly Dowling, our friend Dan Dominguez, our own Jackie Joy, and everyone who chimed in to make that an incredibly just powerful, inspirational, and interactive event. So excited about getting the next one on the calendar. No, it's so was I, but I think the key word that the that you used was breakthrough. And we spent and it was a boot camp. It was all day. It was all day. But we prepared sales leaders to how they could break through to leverage Q4. Yeah. As the launching pad to break through to some really great sales results in 2023. Yeah, so stay tuned. And by the way, if you're in the middle of Q4 right now, by the way, you are in the middle of Q4, <laughs> which is the uh, the fourth quarter for those of you who are on a calendar year, which is most of us, this is a time where we really got to push. And in the middle of all of this, one of the things that's been so helpful is the Selling from the Heart Insiders Group, a community of like-hearted sales professionals that embody the values of Selling from the Heart, saying, I want to build authentic relationship. I want to deliver meaningful value. And if you are pushing hard right now and you're you're going for it and you need a place to catch your breath, come join us at the Selling from the Heart Insiders Group. In fact, you can try it for free for 30 days, sellingfromtheheart.net slash insiders. Come find a community of like-hearted sales professionals. We'd love to see you there. Well, no, Larry, if hey, you just, are just in- really quick, Just really quick, I, gotta, I just gotta touch on this. This whole thing about community, I just, we just have to expand on it just for a second. And then I can't wait to dive into Matt Dixon. But I think the real key is we got to find a place where salespeople and sales leaders can come hang out and build community and bounce ideas and hold each other accountable. That's what you get in Selling from the Heart Insiders Group. I had to share that. Sorry, my rant. Yeah, you got it. Come join us, sellingfromtheheart.net slash insiders. We're right here in Q4 if you're feeling a lot of challenges and you need a jolt this is in the house. We got the jolt effect himself, Matt Dixon. Welcome to Silicon Yard. It's great to have you here. How was that for a transition? There you go. Great. What you guys, what the listeners don't know is that the reason these guys are laughing is because I accidentally left before. So they had to do this whole thing twice. 
And Matt, and they laughed because of Daryl, not me, right, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> they laughed with Daryl. They laugh at you. Like. <laughs> That's right. Uh, don't forget it. Hey, I'm so excited about this That's conversation. That's great to be here with you guys. Yeah, we're going to have a really powerful conversation today around the jolt effect mm -hmm. and what you've been learning. But as we get ready to dive in, Matt, you know the question that every guest on the Selling from the Heart podcast answers. And that is, what does it mean to you, Matt Dixon, to sell from the heart? So I, I learned something before I answer the question. I'm going to tell you guys <laughs> I learned something interesting, which is, um, did you know the, um, the, do you guys know what the, the best uh, seat is at a restaurant when you're eating with your friends or your family? Uh, what, what position is the best one to order from, whether it's first or last or in the middle or something like that? Actually, you, I've never been asked no. that before. So I didn't know this either. So I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this too, is that the, it turns out the best position to order from is first because you're not then influenced by everyone else's selections because it turns out like the first person who orders first ends up like, and we'll talk about this, wrapped around the axle of indecision because they hear what everyone else ordered and they're like, oh my goodness, maybe I made the wrong choice. <laughs> so the reason I'm sharing this with you is that what the listeners don't know is that these guys shared with me an awesome story about <laughs> Brent's answer to this question. So now that I know that, my answer like is totally going to fall flat, at least with me. So, all right. Do you guys want my answer? Of course. So, Matt Dixon, right. what does it mean to you to sell from the heart? Yeah. So I'm now anchored <laughs> on the fact that my answer is going to stink compared to Brent. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So um, I was thinking about this a lot. I know, you know you guys asked that question. And um, we're in some ways, I think it's, it's kind of what the book is all about, is selling from the heart, or maybe even more specifically selling to the heart. What I mean by that is that, you know, we were surprised to learn that, you know, sales, I think, is is... Uh, partly about persuasion is partly about motivation of our customers. We've got to persuade them to uh, that our vision of a new way forward to part part ways with the status quo, move forward with us. We've got to persuade them of that. But then we've also got to motivate them to act and actually buy our solution uh, and sign on the dotted line, execute the DocuSign. And one of the things we learned is that you know persuasion is largely rational, but motivation is largely emotional. And and we'll, again, we'll unpack this in more detail. Um, and so I think that's what it means for me, at least, to sell from the heart is actually uh, understanding that there's two sides to this whole thing for the customer. And it means, uh, you know, it, it's an overused term, but the customer-centric approach to selling is, is recognizing that and then flexing your style and adapting your style so that you're speaking both to the customer's mind and to their heart. Uh, that's that's what it means for me. But this is good because it's selling from the heart. We talk about there's Matt. There's two sides to the trust coin. There's mm -hmm. a building authentic relationships, combining that with bringing meaningful value. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I love what you just said because we got to align the head and the heart aspect yep. of this in sales. Yeah. And when we always go to the head part of this, I'll call this the strategic part of this. We miss the emotional part 100%. of this, but yeah. but yet. Here's my challenge is we can do this in our personal lives, align head and heart. Well, you can, but yes. Well, <laughs> but, but where, where did, and I can't wait to peel this back is where's the difficulty lie? Where do you see this in your research of aligning head and heart on the emotional yeah. side? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, um, maybe uh, just to take a, I'll take a little bit of a step back and explain uh, for some of the listeners. I know some of them might've uh, read the book. I know you guys did, but I can explain a little bit of, of the research that went into it. Cause that's actually kind of part of the story and, and what makes it so interesting. So back in um, March of 2020, 
and you guys remember that was a very dark time. Um, it was a very interesting time, but it was a very dark time. There were, all, you know, the whole world got turned upside down, including the world of sales, because sales went 100% virtual overnight. And because I'm a huge nerd, as you guys already knew, um, uh, I thought this was a Ted McKenna, my co-author, and I thought this was a a golden opportunity to study sales in a way that had never been studied before, because. When sales went 100% virtual, that meant that it wasn't just the mundane calls that were happening on Zoom. It was like the important ones too. Everything mm -hmm. was happening. So you could actually record them and study them with machine learning. So Ted and I partnered with several dozen companies. We launched something. It was actually called originally the Sales Vaccine Project because we, <laughs> we were inspired by this idea that you know scientists were going to come out, come up with a cure for COVID. And damn it, if they can figure that out, we can figure out what's wrong with sales. So, but, <laughs> So, so we went out and, and we launched this thing. Um, uh, we ended up changing the name for obvious reasons. It wasn't, it wasn't really, uh, wasn't the best name. But anyway, um, so we we partnered with several dozen companies. We collected two and a half million recorded sales calls off, over about eighteen months, and we used a machine learning uh, platform from a company that Ted and I used to work at called Tether to study the data at scale. And and we came at it from this lens because it's a huge data set, right? You could. You could ask that data set lots of questions like what do the best people do to negotiate what do the best people do to diagnose needs what are the best demos sound like um but our question that we were really focused on was this problem i think has that's been on this slow march upward which is um the increase in losses to no de no decision and and i would say that this is something that's spiking big time like literally right now um as the economy takes a turn for the worse um, we are much more likely to lose to no decision. Um, we found in our research that anywhere between 40 and 60% of mm. all deals are lost uh, to the customer doing nothing. And, and to be clear, these are customers who go through the entire purchase process with us. And, and so there's, it always confounded us, like what would possess somebody not only to waste like the salesperson's time, but to waste their own time doing that. And then to only only to end up doing nothing. And more importantly, what do the best salespeople do to uh, detect that and avoid that? And and um, and lose to no decision less often than their peers. So I guess to get to get back to your question, Larry, it, um, the thing that we found, which was was pretty startling to us, is that you know, look, when we salespeople know when a deal is starting to trend toward no decision, like their spidey sense starts tingling. And it's usually because the customer stops emailing you, <laughs> so like, with, right. like, or, or all, all together, or perhaps they they do so, but it, it's not right away. It's like a few days later, and the responses are very short and curt. They start to ghost you. They start to disengage. They start to hem and haw, and it just feels like this thing is heading. It's on a one-way path to nowheresville, <laughs> and um, and that that stinks for salespeople. They we see this movie a lot, and what's interesting is that what salespeople have been taught to believe for a really long time is that that is because that is happening because you have failed to demonstrate value, you have failed to uh, break the gravitational pull of the status quo, right? Mm -hmm. The customer is still in the vice grip of the status quo. They still either believe what they do today is good enough, what you're proposing is not a compelling enough reason to change, or maybe it's just not a top priority, right? It's They've got other fish to fry, but it's gotta be one of those reasons. So we tell salespeople to go back and hammer the status quo. And so what we see is this whole raft of what I'd call FOMO tactics, which is some mm -hmm. fear of missing out. It's it's either the 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 positive approach, the carrot approach is, you know, Larry, you must have missed how many zeros were on that ROI projection I sent to you. Or did you know, Daryl, Daryl, I don't you, you must have blinked when I showed you this feature. Enough. Let's get back in the demo environment so show you right, this again. Because right. it's Let's freaking this cool. Like, right. <laughs> like, how could you not buy this? This is amazing. Uh, think of how great life is going to be on the other side. 
or and then when that doesn't work, we kind of go to FUD, right? We put away the carrot, we break out the stick, and we just start trying to scare the customer into action. Like, Larry, you told me that like your your customers hate you for making them go through the process like that. Your employees hate you. Larry, everyone hates you. You know, like, <laughs> like these, all these problems are not. Now you know why, Larry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, there Thanks, you go. guys. <laughs> so we try to create this burning platform, right? Here yeah. are the costs of your inaction. And right. if that all fails, we dangle the disappearing 10% discount. We're like, hey, you, this price is only good this quarter, right? Right. Um, and what we found is, so this is the fact that this happens a lot. And we found that it happens about 75% of the time when the wow. customer starts to squirm and show signs of heading, hopping on the train to Nowheresville, the, the salesperson dials up the FOMO. It's about 75% of the time. So that didn't surprise me because we talk about, we talk about this in Challenger too. We say, Challenger reps are really good at showing the customer the pain of same is worse than the pain of change. They're really good at breaking the pull of the status quo. But what did surprise us was that it, there was an 84% probability with customers who've stated their intent that I'm with you, the status quo stinks, I want to work with you. And then they get cold feet. When we try to dial up the FOMO, there's an 84% probability that the customer winds up in no decision. Like we actually make it worse, not better. Oh. So that was really surprising to us. And it, it, I mean, first of all, we tried to make that finding go away because it was super inconvenient. We're like, this can't be right. I mean, the more data, the more data we fed into the model, the worse it got. So it was like, all right, wow. we got to deal with this. And it was, um, it was interesting. Um, we were pretty flummoxed by this whole thing. We couldn't figure out what the deal was. How could something that has been passed on from leader to manager to rep that we wrote about ourselves for many, many years, how could it be so wrong and produce such bad results? Why does it backfire so dramatically? When we got into the data, what we realized is that um, no decision is a product of two different things. We always have, we only ever thought it was a function of customer prefers the status quo. It turns out that is a big reason, but that's only 44% of the reason. 56% of those no decision losses are actually not because the customer prefers the status quo, it's because they're effectively scared of changing it. And what I mean by that is they're indecisive about changing it. And, and there were three sources of indecision we talk about. I don't know what to pick. You know, you put a lot of options in front of me. I'm not sure which one to pick, which one's the right choice for me and my organization. I haven't done enough research. So Brent talks a lot about this with the, the sense-making uh, research, but there's so much content out there. It's like the next white paper that I read that will have all the answers. And then uh, something we call outcome uncertainty, which is I hear you, but Larry, I just don't know if we're going to get that ROI. And if we don't, it's on me, right? It's, it's best case scenario, I look like a fool to my colleagues, which is not great. Worst case scenario in the current environment, I could lose my job. Yeah. And so these are the things that actually keep people from moving forward. The, the shorthand is, you know, when we lose to no decision, it's less often the fact that we failed to dial up the FOMO and more often the fact that we failed to dial down what we call the FOMU, the fear of messing up. Those are the things that keep people from moving forward. I mean, if I were to boil it down, I'd say, look, at the end of the day, when your when your customers weighing like missing out on a ten percent discount or losing their job, turns out they care a lot more about losing their job than your ten percent discount. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if salespeople don't understand this, and they've been, it's not that they don't understand it. It's not their fault. I think it's because they've been told for so long it's only the status quo that is your only enemy in sales, and they just. Um, this is the longest answer to you. You've like time for one more question, I think. But um, what I tell you, what I tell you, Larry, is um, I I think when I when I think about you know selling from the heart and and how people don't understand those two sides of the coin as you talked about before, this is a perfect example. We are going back and trying to convince people who are they are scared about making a mistake, and you're mm -hmm. going back and using fear tactics yep. predicated on reason, right? 
Yes, you're going to pay more for it if you buy it later. Yes, you're going to miss out on an opportunity to fix your status quo. Yes, like your current state stinks and you're going to miss out on this awesome uh, solution we put forward, this great proposal. Those are all true, but those are all rational reasons. But what you're doing is using scare tactics to sell to somebody who's already afraid. And so you're you're making it worse, not better. And it, you just fail to appreciate the fact that these are people and they're worried about looking bad. They're worried about making a big mistake. And that's the thing that, and so we've got to shift gears from hammering the status quo to overcoming their natural indecision, which is not a customer thing. It's just a human thing, yep. mm -hmm. but it requires a different playbook to do it. Wow. Absolutely love this. This perspective <laughs> is so helpful. And, you know, when you think about all of this status quo stuff and you're, I mean, we see this across multiple industries, this yep. is epidemic. And I believe, I believe that it is, like you said, going to get more challenging in the year to come because now the stakes just got raised a little bit That's more right. on every dollar and every decision yep. on this. But what's great about the book, and by the way, if you haven't got a copy of The Jolt Effect, here it is right here. Um, you want to go grab a copy of this book right now. It's phenomenal. And uh, in it, you give us a prescription to right. get out of it. And it just so happens that it's a four-step prescription that starts with four letter letter J, <laughs> as, you might, as you might imagine. Uh, but yeah, coach us through this. So I yeah. think, uh, you know, we've established something here that I'd love to run down a bunch of rabbit trails on this. And maybe we can in a future podcast, but I want to get to the nerd. solution. But well, it's, it's beyond the nerd thing though. And that is that the, idiocy of encountering fear with yeah. more fear, yeah. right? Yeah. And and that's how we were trained, but you've got a better way to go about this. So yep. what does JOLT stand for and what do we need to do about all this? Yeah, I, so the, JOLT is for behaviors. Um, it's an acronym, as you said, um, a new four letter word for sale in sales. <laughs> and it's, uh, <laughs> it is, um, so it stands for the four behaviors we identified in these two and a half million sales calls. And I'll, may I, I'll just, explain to you what the acronym is, and then maybe we could kind of go one by awesome. one. Because I think there's interesting stuff in each of these uh, that we talk about, um, but uh, but I'll follow your lead. So the so I, we like it because it's memorable, but it also speaks to what's happening. What we're trying to do is jolt the customer out of their stuck, indecisive state. They are wrapped around the axle about whether I picked the right configuration, have I done enough research, have I gotten any assurance of success from this vendor, are they going to leave me holding the bag? Hmm. And that's what they're worried about. So it's not about dialing up the fear of not purchasing. It's about dialing down the fear of purchasing. How do we instill the confidence or the self-efficacy, I should say, with the customer that you made a great decision and you are working with a salesperson who has is purely motivated by getting you to a great decision, whether that decision is buying from the their company, not buying from them, staying the course, buying from a competitor. That's our only motivation is getting you to a great answer and outcome. And then lastly, they've they've put a safety net in there. You feel like they've got your back. They're not going to make you look like a fool. You're going to look like a hero for buying this. So that's what we're trying to get to. So Jolt is, is again, four behaviors. Jay is judging the level of indecision. It's all about um, a set of techniques that we found, which are pretty unique that high performers use to get these deep, dark fears that are kind of embarrassing, frankly, for, for customers to talk about, getting them on the table so we can talk about them and deal with them. The O is about offering a recommendation. It's about going from you know, the thousand flowers blooming to getting mm -hmm. your weed whacker out and, you know, could chalk in the field saying like, look, here is what you should buy and making a recommendation to, to simplify the decision. And there's mm -hmm. some interesting psychological stuff that happens in that moment. L is about um, limiting the exploration. So in a world where customers will 
will consume endless amounts of yep. information. They will always, always wait till the next webinar, the next way, the next Gartner Magic Quadrant report that comes out before making a decision. How do you get them to stop being trying to be an expert themselves and start trusting you as the expert who's going to guide them to a great decision? Mm. And then the T is about taking risk off the table. So, you know, we've got to deal with that outcome uncertainty our customers fear that they might not realize the full benefit of this purchase. It might, they're not even really blaming you. They might be blaming their own company and saying, I just don't think we're capable of seeing a 10X ROI. Like, and if we don't, I built my business case on that and I could get fired if it comes in like at 5X. Like that's, that's a bad look for me, mm -hmm. um, especially in the current environment. So how do we give them those, those um, uh, assurances that they're, again, they're not going to be left holding the bag they're going to experience great outcomes and they're going to look like a hero, not like a fool. So those are the, those are the four behaviors. And again, we can, we can kind of dig into each one because there's an interesting story in each one of those. And some of the things we find are pretty counterintuitive and indifferent from what's classically taught in, in sales training. No, here, here's, I love this. And here's, what's really interesting because we know, depending on the size of the deal, right? The numbers are out there. I mean, you've even done research on it, Matt, is how many people are involved in decision-making yeah. today, yeah. right? So now taking into consideration that, so there's a buying team. Mm -hmm. Conversely, on the other side, you have a selling team. Yep. Now think about how that acronym plays out because that has to play out with each and every yep. person. Yeah that's on that buying team. And yeah. what's really interesting about this is as I'm listening to it is, uh, and it's just a special shout out to the Y Institute because I'm listening to what you're saying. And, you know, recently we've partnered with the Y Institute where we help, mm -hmm. you know, sales leaders and sales teams uncover their why, their how and their what. Well, my how is to make things clear and understandable. Mm -hmm. And as I'm sitting here listening to you, that has to play out in this JOLT acronym. And think about all these people that are involved in these decisions now. Not only does that acronym play out, but we have to make things clear and understandable because yeah. if we don't, there goes the brakes. That's right. That's 100%. And, you know, there, there is a, um, that clarity in, there's a, this theme that actually we write about in the book because it, it's in a later chapter, this, this idea of simplifying and making the experience a lot easier than we make it. Simplifying by, by narrowing the consideration set, you don't have to consider everything. These are the handful of things you should really be seriously considering. Limiting the exploration, like you don't need to be an expert. I'm your expert. You know, I'm going to help get you to a great outcome. Don't waste your time reading all that stuff. Or here's a, a curated set of things you probably should read to be a, a savvy buyer. You know, taking risk off the table. Like don't don't make me sweat and squirm about the fact that I might not get what I'm paying for. Um, uh, demonstrate to me that you've got our back. So those are all, I like that, what you're talking about, Larry, that that simplification, the clarification, what we're really talking about is making that purchase journey easier for our customers by doing these things. And it turns out that easier purchase journey is one that is much less likely to wind up in no decision land. Love it. When really uh, at the end of the book, you talk about this concept of being a buyer's agent, yeah. which is an interesting perspective to have, even though you're, Business card may say sales representative or account executive or, yep. or whatever. What when you think about a buyer's agent from the perspective of of what we're talking about here today? What does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, the, we talk about it in the book, and I know something that uh, that Brent has written about before. But you know, great great salespeople today are almost like great travel agents. So they, you know, you think about if you're planning a trip to somewhere you've never been before. You know, what you want to do is you want to work with somebody who understands your needs, understands your budget, understands what's most important to you, um, mm -hmm. it, but also has that expertise so they can say, you know, Larry, I know you're 
I know you're planning this great family trip to Italy and, uh, and I understand your budget and what you want to do. And what, here's what I recommend, you know, do this stuff, forget that stuff. Here's where you should stay. Here's where you should eat. Here are the sites you should see. Here are the ones you want to skip and, and maybe come back another time and, and check out. But that, that gives us the confidence that we're dealing with somebody who, again, is an expert and they're going to guide us to a great outcome. Um, and it's, you know, it's an overused term in sales, I think, but, uh, but this idea of being a trusted advisor, it's, it's so it's used so often, I think, that it, it ends up being meaningless for salespeople because we don't ever define what that actually sounds like in practice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll give you guys uh, just a quick um, example. So uh, on this this idea of limiting the exploration, how do you get your customer to stop doing their own research and start trusting you? Now, of course, they're going to do some research. And it turns out, you know, Jedi mind tricks like, Daryl, you don't need to read that Gardner magic. <laughs> <laughs> totally don't work. <laughs> it, that doesn't work very well. So um, so what we need to do instead, we, we found that it literally does come back down to being a trusted advisor. But this is like really, really tactical stuff. So what does it mean to build trust? The first thing it, that is required is that salespeople understand that they're coming in with probably negative brand equity, even though they've never done anything wrong to that customer. It's a product of the customer's baggage mm -hmm. from be, having been oversold and been burned in the past. So when you come in, their mindset is something called the agency dilemma is that you are being paid to oversell me. Your, your job is to sell me more than I need. Your job is to hide the dirty laundry, to not tell me the things in your solution that don't actually work. You're not going to introduce me to any of your customers who hate you. You're going to introduce me to customers who love you. You know, we're not going to talk about the train wreck stories. We're going to talk about the success stories. And so they come in with the, the mindset that this is a, a cat and mouse game and you're trying to put one over on me. And so what we found was that high performers, in order to, the first step in limiting the exploration is they got to trust you that you're not trying to put one over on them. So what do high performers do? What they do is quite literally tell the customer, you shouldn't buy this. Even things that their own company sells, like I know, Larry, you're interested in the premium version of the solution, but honestly, for your needs, the basic version is going to be fine. I would save the money and spend those dollars elsewhere. I'm sure you take your team out for a, a, a great trip or a nice, you know, uh, hire a better speaker for your sales kickoff or what have you, right? Um, there's there's uh, that those kinds of moments or could be things like um, pointing out what doesn't work in your platform. Like I, I know, Daryl, you're really interested in this, this integration that we offer, but I got to be honest, it's brand new and some of the customers who are using it right now have had some hiccups. And so what I don't want you to do is expect it's going to work day one. I know a few months in, it's going to be fine, but I don't want you to expect that day one because it's just not, it, I, I'd be over-promising and we'd under-deliver. Or maybe even suggesting the customer to start smaller. You know, customers will often talk themselves from the $100,000 uh, solution to the million-dollar solution. And that moment where we say, you know, I actually think you'd be better off starting smaller and here's why. It puts less pressure on you. Um, it's something we can get done more quick, quickly. Let's get some runs on the board and let's expand from there. Um, or here's a, here's another one. We didn't see this very often, but it turns out high performers are much more likely to tell the customer when their own company is not the right partner for, for the customer. You know, mm. I, I love to do business with you, but given what you're looking for, I actually think those guys are a better option for you. I, I, I'm just being honest with you here. I don't want to steer you the wrong way. We love your business, but, you know, I, I need to be honest with you here. Those moments totally bridge the trust gap. And it's very tactical stuff. So now you've gotten to a place where, okay, the customer believes, all right, you're not here to just put one over on me. The second step is you've got to be in a position to advise the customer. Part of being a trusted advisor is being in a position to advise. So what does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is you own the flow of information. So uh, practically speaking or tactically speaking, this means that high performers in our study were way more likely to do their own demos, 
they were way less likely to bring the clown car of experts to the call, right? The, the product mm -hmm. person, the customer success person, the executive sponsor, the <laughs> engineers, the security person, like the legal the person. Clown car. I love yeah. it. That's great. That's good stuff, Matt Dixon. I'm, hey, can we rip that one off? The Absolutely. clown car? Yeah. That's Absolutely. good. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I didn't get any royalties on challenger, which somebody said, well, way to go challenger, but, uh, but I might get royalties on that. So you guys are welcome to use card registered. I can hear the music as it drives up, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it piles out. Sorry, so, we digress. No, no, no. So they, so they don't do that. And it doesn't mean they don't use other experts to help them, mm -hmm. you know, answer questions that they're, that are when they're out of their depth, but, um, they don't punt the call to mm. the, um, uh, to the subject matter experts. So what they don't do is say, Hey, uh, Mr. Miss Customer, I know you had a question about the product, and I brought on Larry's our chief product officer. Larry, take it away. You like because Larry hates that because I'm the salesperson; he's the head of product. Mm -hmm. And and the the other thing, the more important reason is that you in sales, you guys know this very well. You get delegated down to the person you sound like, and if in that moment you sound like nothing more than a glorified admin, that is a recipe for a customer doing their own research because what they mm. realize in that moment is you actually don't know a whole lot about what you're trying to sell me wow. larry does oh. but you don't right and so that that increases the odds the customer's going to do their own research i'll give you give you one other example so um aside from owning the flow there's also this approach that we found high performers use to anticipate needs and objections so they listen for signs of implicit non-acceptance so that's the difference between daryl you saying uh, i said have i addressed your question and you saying absolutely and you saying yeah, kind of. Now, if I'm an average performer, those are one and the same, and I just keep going, right? That's I could put you down for yes, and we're going to go. Um, if you're a high performer, though, you will hit pause, and this happened literally in these calls we analyzed, hit pause and say, I, I don't want to read too much into this, Daryl, but the way you answered that question leads me to believe maybe I didn't nail the answer, or maybe there's something else you're worried about. Let's, let's talk about it. Because what they know is if I ignore it, it's still going to fester long after the call, and that gives you a reason to be indecisive and potentially do nothing. So we got to get it on the table so we can talk about it. Um, you also see high performers much more likely to introduce objections that the customer hasn't even brought up. Like, Daryl, you know, when you ask about that, what's interesting is, is a lot of other customers then ask this question. I don't want to assume that that's going through your mind too, but if it is, you wouldn't be alone because lots of customers worry about that, and I'd love to have a chance to talk to you about that. So. These teach these moments teach the customer that you know your stuff, right? You you have sold the same solution to people just like them. You know where the pitfalls are. You know where the landmines are. You're leading them down to make a great decision. All of that stuff, the trust, the expertise, earns you the right. Then, when the customer asks you for the fifth reference call to say, "Daryl, I got to be honest with you. I don't think that's going to answer any more questions than the other four have answered. <laughs> right. And I don't want to waste your time. And candidly, I don't want to waste our reference customers' time either. So. Let's let's put this whole thing aside for a moment. Let's just have an honest dialogue about what might be going on and giving you a little bit of pause. What are you trying to answer in that reference call that the other ones didn't? And and there might be other ways to address your concerns than uh, eating up time for another reference call. You know, so those moments of radical candor have to be mm. earned. But those are the things that get the customer to say, you know what, I don't need to be an expert. I'm working with a great salesperson who's got my interests in mind. They know their stuff, and they 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 help me avoid running down these. As you said, rabbit trails, Daryl, that are that lead to nowhere, right? Wow. This wow. is I, I'm so far. I'm gonna I suggest everybody go back, listen, rewatch, listen, rewatch this conversation because this is this is pure gold. Thanks, Matt, for just imparting so much knowledge. But I, I'm sitting here and I'm so glad that you brought some of this up because the first thing that comes to mind is salespeople today and their leaders must be business 
conversationally competent. Yeah. yeah. Right from that very first interaction because it's that first interaction they have because i'm a big believer in that perception's reality mm-hmm. let's just face mm-hmm. it you said you know salespeople are walking in and, and a customer already has baggage right baggage yeah. from previous bad decisions mm-hmm. and bad mm-hmm. salespeople. Mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. imagine that very first conversation where that be face to face or in the virtual world having a business conversation competent conversation i believe immediately sets you up yeah as that trusted advisor, because they're going to go, where have you been all my life? Yeah. Yeah. And and those things can be done. You're right, Larry. It can be done from the very first conversation. You know, if your customer leaves that conversation thinking like, I learned something from this person. Yep. I didn't know, despite all the research I did before I reached out to this vendor, but boy, this, this person knows stuff that it's not on the internet, right? It's not my LinkedIn network didn't know about. They have a perspective that I need to have. So that's kind mm-hmm. of the, the challenger thing. They understand, they're, they're asking great questions and they understand what's important to me. They understand the business side of things and they know their product and their solution really well. And I don't get the feeling this person's trying to hide the ball. Like I, yeah. I get the feeling that they are, whether I buy from them or not, they, it's not about that. It's actually about getting me to a good decision. So that's somebody I want to have another call with, right? Because I know uh, I'm going to get to a good outcome. Yeah, so powerful. What an incredible conversation. And Matt, I was just thinking, you know, as I'm contemplating whether or not I should buy this book, can I just get one more reference? <laughs> you steal Larry's. You. Steal Larry's. <laughs> can I get one more reference? You got to yeah, that, <laughs> That's not going to help you, Daryl. This is not going to help you. <laughs> It's a huge I waste love of it. Time. Oh, oh my god! Well, you got my reference on this book. I hope everyone Thank listening in grabs a copy because this is an important conversation to have. I appreciate you bringing it here to Selling from the Heart and the work that you're doing. How can people get more Matt Dixon in their lives? <laughs> yeah, I'm joking with these guys. Like probably the question is, how do I get this guy out of my life? <laughs> but if that's not, if you are one of those rare few who do want, for some reason, more Matt Dixon in your life, I go check out, uh, so send me a LinkedIn invitation. I love being connected with um, with folks in the sales community. Um, you know, Larry, what you said before about, I, I agree, I think sales, Salespeople and people who study sales need to stick together and, and share, yeah. uh, tap, tap one another's expertise yeah. for advice and uh, share stories and bounce ideas off one another. So I'm all about that. So any of your listeners want to connect with me on LinkedIn, tell me you heard me on the show and, and send me an invite. And then if you want to learn more about the Jolt Effect, and we didn't dig into too much detail. There's a, there's a great story on each of those pillars. I shared a little bit of that limiting the expiration, but there's some fascinating stuff in all of them. If you want to learn more, obviously buy the book, but um check out uh, jolteffect.com. So there's a lot more content on there, including some manager coaching tools and some things that you can download and uh, free content there. And then lots of other resources for people who want to go to the next level and kind of bring this, bring these ideas to their sales team. Awesome. Awesome. Matt, thank you. Thanks for all you're doing. We appreciate you sharing time with us today. This is incredible. Thank you guys for putting up with me. I appreciate the invite. And now you're going to get Matt Dixon out of your life, at least for now. No, no, come back. no, no, it's real. Oh, he'll, you'll be hey, back. Hey, Matt, you, you're, you're more than welcome to come like back. like a vampire. We, you can't get hey, rid we of We had Brent Adamson back twice. So now, Matt, you got to come back. You're again, real gluttons so. for punishment. I know That's that right. Is. Yes, we are. Well, have a super day, Matt. Hey, we you guys too, you, man. All right. Talk to you soon. What a great oh. conversation. You want to grab a copy of the Jolt Effect. This, this topic of overcoming indecision I just got to say, this is so, this has been relevant, but the relevance of this yeah. just amped up in the environment we're going into right now. And and this conversation around what do we need to do uh, to 
remove these tactics of FOMO to the fear of uh, removing the fear of moving forward. That was so good. There's like so <laughs> you know, just, powerful. Just think, just think about, you know, th th this is why all sales leaders should just go back and rewatch this right now and then sit down and look at what's going to start happening because, you know, it's already happening right now. End of fourth quarter, you know, what's yep. going to start happening. Absolutely. And it's so uh, the irony when Matt said that we go in and we're like, we start just piling on more fear when that's the problem in the first place. And let's, you know, and that's why I love this community at Selling from the Heart, where we're going in and we're challenging each other to build authentic relationships and have these meaningful value conversations. And a huge shout out to everybody in the Selling from the Heart Insiders group right now, cheering each other on, encouraging each other, empowering each other to be able to add value, get our clients uh, moving forward, making great decisions. If you want to be a part of a community like this, if you go, that would be awesome. Just go to sellingfromtheheart.net slash insiders. Come join us free for 30 days. It's an amazing experience. You're going to enjoy these relationships. Larry, speaking of relationships, I love the network of sales leaders that came out of this breakthrough sales leaders retreat. And I'm more convinced than ever that it is uh, these groups, these mastermind groups of people say, I'm going to get together. We're going to work together. We're going to keep each other accountable, in inspire, encourage, et cetera. And so we can move forward in these challenging times more critical than ever right now to, to align yourself with the right type of people. Huge believers, sales leaders, you control the culture inside the culture of your company. Here's That's what I right. ask you to think about. Are you developing an authentic sales culture? inside your sales team. Think about that as you start winding down this year, some of the things just to be thinking about as you roll into the new year. For sure. Well, thank you to everybody who's liking, sharing the podcast. We appreciate all of you that are leaving reviews. This helps us move this movement of authenticity forward in the sales profession. And yes, if you haven't yet seen us on YouTube, we are now on YouTube. When you go there, hit that subscribe button. Once again, it helps us spread the word. We've got an incredible roster of guests coming on this fourth quarter and on into the new year. We've got some exciting announcements coming soon, so make sure to stay tuned. And until next time, keep being genuine, keep being authentic, keep adding real value, help jolt indecision, and most of all, <laughs> sell from the heart. Thanks for listening to the Selling from the Heart podcast on the SalesCast Network. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We appreciate your encouraging reviews as it helps us spread the word. As always, we would love to connect with you. So look for us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and your favorite podcast platform. This podcast is produced by our friends at SalesCast. Learn more at www.salescast.co. We look forward to seeing you next time.